0: Testament, the Bible simply says that God reveals himself as I am, I am the I am, and he says to Moses, this will be my name forever and it will be a memorial unto every generation so that every generation has to come to know me this way, that just like that bush in the wilderness, it was burning with fire, but it was not consumed, it wasn't burned up. So he literally says, I am never diminished from what I am. What I was, I am. And what I am, I always will be. And what I always will be, I am. And what I am, I was. So that his mercy endures from generation to generation to generation. I am the Lord your God, and I change not. Yesterday, today, Forever. I am. So no matter what you're going through, His mercy never diminishes. He is always the same and He always will be the same. And that ought to be the source of our strength and our joy this morning. Amen? That He is the I am. Well, I hope your Christmas was wonderful. Uh, We had a, a wonderful family time, and then these last few days we did a different type of gift instead of presents under the tree, we took uh, Stephanie and Gary, our daughter and son-in-law, and our three J-girls, Jessica, Jennifer, and Jaden, and went to Branson and had a wonderful two days together, Uh, saw the Sanders Family Christmas Show, which uh, is a uh, heartwarming, funny presentation about uh, a singing family that comes to a Baptist church on a Christmas Eve night and getting ready to send their son to World War II. Wonderful time of fun. And, and then yesterday afternoon, we went to the Sight and Sound Theater and saw the miracle of Christmas. And it's probably the best presentation of the birth of Jesus Christ that I've ever seen. And so I hope that your Christmas uh, was as enjoyable as ours. And and I know most of you have already taken down your decorations and put that out of your mind. But Pastor Steve wanted me to, uh, to finish the series on Silent Nights. And so I want to talk to you this morning about Silence to salvation. And to do that, we need to go back one more time to the Christmas scene, but maybe in that part that we don't talk a lot about. We usually turn to Luke chapter 2, because that's the decree from Caesar's Augustus, and that's the the angel, and that's the main... Well, let's let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and and verse 1. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men, the Magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen a star as it arose, or literally as it was arising in the east, and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, was as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophets say the Messiah would be born? He asked them. In Bethlehem they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judah. You're not just a lowly village in Judah. For a ruler will come from you. And he will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men. Asking them to come see him. At the meeting he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. Then he told them. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him also. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way, because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. From silence to salvation, silent nights. Well, most of us was introduced to the Christmas story, by either watching or participating in the annual church Christmas play. You remember those days, the cardboard scenery and props that was supposed to look like the little village of Bethlehem. The stable, the manger, made out of tree limbs and willow bushes and and surrounded by the local farmer's bales of hay. The little cute Mary and Joseph sitting by the manger and the little doll wrapped in some type of a baby blanket lying in the straw of the manger. The angels, you remember those in the Christmas play, that wore white bed sheets trimmed with gold tinsel, and they had gold tinseled halos that had been made out of wire hangers that lifted that halo above their head, but it never would stay completely straight. It would tilt from one side to the other. And wings made out of net or cheesecloth, trimmed in tinsel. And before the play was over, one side always drooped lower than the other. And nothing was ever completely perfect. Shepherds in their oversized bathrobes robes and, and sticks for staffs in their hand, And wise men coming from the east, walking on that stage, wearing Burger King cardboard crowns. And carrying a jewelry box that was supposed to contain treasure. Well, all of us remember that and in some church even the kids were dressed up like sheep or donkeys standing around the props. All of us were introduced to the Christmas story by that local church Christmas play. It was cute. It was innocent. It was funny. It never turned out just the way it was supposed to. But you see the real Christmas story is like a play as well. In fact, it's like a play in four distinct acts. The first one is that Old Testament act, that time of prophetic utterance where the prophets would say, His name will be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted, God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a child, and you'll call His name. Jesus is going to save us from our sins. And that first act was just the prophecy that said he would come. But the second act of the story was the Annunciation, the angels appearing to Zacharias and Elizabeth, telling about in their barrenness there would come the birth of this child. And the angel appearing to Mary, saying that you're highly favored among God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and that holy child will be the very Son of God. And then the third act was... The revelation to Joseph that he should arise and take Mary to be his wife and that fourth act that climactic scene is Mary and Joseph make the journey to Bethlehem and the shepherds hear the angelic choirs and the wise men come from the east and the Messiah is born. It's like a play. In fact that Christmas play has a wonderful cast of characters. See there was a producer of that play his name's God the Father and it wasn't just an afterthought, because this producer had it in his mind from the eternalist eternity. In fact, the Bible said that before the foundation of the world. You see, this was not plan B because men had sinned. This was always the producer's plan A, that a virgin would conceive, that a child would be born. That an anointed one, a savior would come and undo. A second Adam would come from heaven and undo what the first Adam had done. God is a producer. And this play had a director. The director is the Holy Spirit. He's moving Caesar Augustus to make the proclamation. He's moving Simeon into the temple so he can take the new Christ child in his hands. He's in Anna's heart as she adores the master. He's directing angel choirs. The Holy Spirit is directing the play. And of course the star of the show is Jesus, the Savior who has come. He is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One. But even the producer, director, and the star of the play are surrounded by the supporting cast. There's magnificent Mary, who is conscious, committed, and controlled by the will of God. She's confident in the word of God. Be it unto me, even as you have said. And she celebrates the wonder and the works of God. And then there's just Joseph, not willing to make a show, not willing to cause Mary any harm. Privately going to put her away. Denying himself. Living a selfless life. Just Joseph. That model of a good father. And then there's zealous Zacharias in the temple. Hearing the voice of the angel. ecstatic Elizabeth. That after all of her barrenness. A child, John. The gift of God. The forerunner, of the Messiah. And then there's hideous Herod. You know him. He's the puppet Jewish king the traitor that sold out to the Romans. He's the one that somebody said it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son because he was always killing those who would threaten his power. Hateful man, hurtful man, self-seeking man. And then there were those serene shepherds watching their flocks by night over the hills of Bethlehem, eight miles from Jerusalem. Not just any flocks, mind you, but those were the temple flocks Those were the sheep that they herded that would one day walk into Jerusalem and become sacrificial lambs and who better first to hear the message that the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world was to come than those who herded those sacrificial lambs. And then not only those serene shepherds, but there is that heavenly host of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. There's that searching Simeon who had been revealed by the Spirit. He would not see death until he saw the salvation of the Lord. And in the temple, he picks up that newborn baby Jesus. And he says, He is a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. And then there's that adoring Anna, old, seeking the Lord constantly. And now giving thanks that she's seen with her own eyes the salvation of the Lord. And finally there are those Mysterious magi. In fact, we can relate to all the other characters. But when it comes to these mysterious wise men, magi, we three kings of Orient are, we have a problem with that. You see, the pastor told you that this was not a silent night. And it wasn't. Angelic choirs, all the raucousness of Bethlehem under taxation, no room in the inn, no privacy for birth. Here are people being troubled, the Bible says, and there's shouts and adoration. It's not a silent night. In fact, he mentioned the birth of Jesus himself. We sang that little Christmas carol No crying he doth make. Duh. He's a baby. He makes crying. He makes dirty diapers. Amen. In fact, one man said, you can just see Joseph walking that night trying to get this crying baby to quieten down with all kinds of animals and shepherds and turmoil going on. And he's praying and he said, Lord, I'm not asking you to make him the Messiah. I'm asking you to make him go to sleep. Because it wasn't a silent night. And yet, in the midst of that, we're introduced to these magi. Now, they had a silent night. Who were they? Well, that's the first problem. Some say they were astronomers. They were scientists. They were men of wisdom and learning who constantly studied the heavens. So that out of the study of the stars and the planets they could actually discern what was going to happen. They could predict eclipses of the moon and the sun and they were scientific men. Others just say they were a bunch of quacks who were astrologists and saw things in the stars that really weren't there. One author says that they lived on a hill called the mountain of the Lord and they were constantly studying the heavens looking for the sign of the birth of royalty and kings. Who were they? Well, some said they are from the east, so they came from Media, which was Iran, or Persia, or the Chaldeans, which was Iraq. And some say they came from Egypt, but no one really knows. Who were they? Well, some said they were the descendants of Abraham through Keturah, his Egyptian maid. Others say that they were the descendants of Balaam, You remember that Old Testament prophet who had said that a star would rise out of Judah and a scepter would come out of Israel? And some say they were the descendants of Daniel and the three Hebrew children from the Babylonians because then they would have remembered Daniel's prophecy that one day there will come a rock hewed out of the mountain without hands and that rock would crush all the other kingdoms of the world and of that kingdom there would be no end. But we don't really no, and then how many wise men oh three brother really why do we say three because there were three gifts gold frankincense myrrh but the bible didn't say there were just three we don't know how many and so tradition has given them names and some call them gaspar and Melchior and Belthasar. in fact i've got a wonderful little book you can read called The Fourth Wise Man, which is a very interesting story that you need to read. We don't really know. The Bible just simply said that they were magi, wise men, dwelling in some eastern country, and they see the star as it arose. What star? Well, some said it was Halley's Comet. Others say that it was conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter that shone brightly in the eastern sky. Or maybe... God created the star. In fact, some say that no, it it was surely Egypt because it was the month of Masorai in Egypt. And Mesori means the birth of the king. And Sirius, the dog star, would rise at sunrise and it would shine brightly all day long. We don't really know. And then the problem is, when did they come? Did they come the same night as the shepherd? Was it on that night of his birth? Was it, as some say, two years later? Because when Herod talks to the wise men, he determined the time that they came and later he kills all the children from two years old and under to make sure he takes care of this king that's threatening his power. So when did they come? We don't know. The Bible simply said they followed the star and it led them first to Jerusalem, to the sanctuary. And when they found no king there, the star went before them, stirred over the place where it lay, and they saw Mary with the boy in her arms. And the Bible says they came into the house. But was it a house or was it a stable? Because you see, in Bethlehem, it's built upon a limestone ridge. And their houses are made out of limestone rubble held together by mud. And though the house is on the ridgeline, underneath every house there was carved out this limestone cave, which was the manger. So, did they come into the house or into the stable? You see, we don't know a lot. What we do know is that they had a revelation. And it wasn't a revelation like the shepherds. It wasn't a noise-filled revelation. It was silence. You see, the shepherds were descendants of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So if you want to get a shepherd's attention, what are you going to do? You're going to create a psalm. Shepherds live on the hillside all year long. Another bright light in a star-filled heaven is not going to mean anything to them, but as descendants of David, the one thing that would catch their attention, arrest them in their daily life, was the creation of a new song. And it was loud. For the Bible said, The angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and they were so afraid. And he begins to talk about the birth of the Savior, and suddenly the heaven is filled with a host of angels singing Theirs was a noise-filled revelation. And it led them to the stable. But not the wise men. The wise men are simply viewing the silence of the night. The silence of the stars. And all of a sudden, in silence, there's a bright light. But they are the descendants, not of David. But of Daniel, they are wise men, observers. And in that silence of that bright star, it too is the revelation of God to lead them where he wants them to go. Sometimes God in the noise, in the song, leads you to the stable. But many times in silence, he leads you to the stable. And what it proves is, is that God will do whatever is necessary to arrest your attention. God will use the singing of a song. God will use the silence of a star. He will create whatever is necessary in your life to arrest you and to stop you and to get your attention, to bring you to where He wants you to be. I tell you, God reveals Himself in history and all of a sudden when the fullness of the time was come god sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption even as sons but god reveals himself in the heavens their songs and shouts and angelic pray- and god reveals himself in the heart for sometimes he just speaks in a dream to joseph and sometimes he just speaks by the holy spirit to simeon and brings him into the temple or in Uh, into the the temple to see the Christ. see, whatever God has to do, God is a God of revelation. Whatever it takes to captivate you, whatever it takes to arrest you, whatever it takes to stop you in the journey that you're on and turn you into the path where He wants you to be, He will do it. If He has to compose a song, He'll write a good one. And if He has to create a light in the silent heaven, He'll do it. So it will lead you. And you know where this silent revelation led them? Well, it led them first to the sanctuary. Wouldn't you think Jerusalem is where the new king is? Wouldn't you think the sanctuary, of the temple, is where you're going to? But when he gets there, there's no king there. Oh, a puppet king by the name of Herod, who sold out to the Romans, who kills everybody to stay in power. Now remember, they had scripture in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Oh, thou Bethlehem of Judah, you're not the least among the princes of Judah. Out of you there will come a shepherd or governor. But they had no spirit. Do you know what was wrong in the sanctuary at Jerusalem? There's no Ark of the Covenant behind that veil. There's no Shekinah of God's glory in that sanctuary. Because when Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonians in the days of Jeremiah, they took the ark of God's covenant, God's presence, out of the city of Jerusalem, and it had never been brought back. And there was a veil that separated the people from the presence of God. But when you went behind the veil, there is no presence of God, just silence. And so they had scripture, but no spirit. I can't stop there. But when they left the emptiness and the silence of the sanctuary they saw the star. And the star went before them and they rejoiced with shouts of victory and it came and stood over the place where the newborn babe the king was and you know where it was. A a stable. A manger. A limestone cave. The backyard of a barn. A pigsty. It's dark and dank and damp and it smells terrible because what you smell is the odor of animals and it's filled with urine and manure. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. You ever been in a barn? It didn't bring them into the house. It brought them into the stable. The star of God's silent revelation led them to the stench. Of a stable, smelly and stinky, looking for a Savior, trying to find a king. Why? Because that's the journey of your life. You you start following the revelation of God, whether it's a song shouted in the heavens or the silence of a bright light, I'm going to follow until I find the Savior. I'm following God. And most of the time it leads you to a stable. It leads you to the stench and the stinkiness of what we call life. I mean, Abraham, go into a land of promise, but when he gets there, there's not much promise. There's no food and not much water, and almost like a desert. And, and Moses, you're going to be a deliverer. <laughs> And he follows that until it leads him on the back side of the desert for 40 years of discouragement and defeat. And, and, and Daniel, you're going to pray three times a day and follow the star. And it leads you to a den of lions. And the three Hebrew children, you won't bow and you won't uh, defile yourself with the king's meat. You, you, it doesn't matter what trumpet blows. You're not going to bow before that heathen king. And it's going to lead you to a fiery furnace. And Paul, you see a revelation on the Damascus Road and you're going to follow that revelation and you're going to straightway preach Jesus and it's going to lead you to stonings and shipwrecks and stripes on your back and you wind up in jail in a stable surrounded by stench and manure and urine and rodent infested. Oh, it happens all the time. And you know you've had the revelation from God and it's a marriage made in heaven and now it's the stench of hell. And shattered dreams and shattered relationships and sickness and sorrow. And I'm following the star and it leads me to this stable, promising athlete, one misstep on a football field. The career is over and it's a stable. The job. The career that I always wanted. And you follow it and you give everything you've got. and You move in and it's a stable. The only thing your office needs is a couple of bales of hay and a stinky animal standing by you. And it it wasn't what I thought at all. Because most of the time when we follow stars, They have a tendency to lead us to stables. Oh, ministry, I'm going to be on TBN. And now you're teaching the junior boys wondering what the world went wrong. Because that's the way life is. But the silent revelation, the silent night of the star was for a purpose. It's to lead you to the stable so that God can show you something else about Himself. That He is not just the God of Revelation. But he's the God of incarnation. Because when they got in the stink of the stable, guess what? There's the king. There's this, oh not a mighty warrior like David ready to rout the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel again, but a little innocent cute baby boy wrapped in in swaddling clothes. Not royal robes, grease rags dust cloths, whatever strip you can find, in the stable was the Savior. Oh, that's our problem. We see God in the star, we hear God in the song, but all of a sudden that leads us into the stable of life and we don't see Him anymore. But He's just as much in that stable As he was in your star. If you'll look past the grease cloth. If you'll look past the stinking animals. If you'll hold your nose long enough to get beyond the stench and the smell. of, 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 Of the manure and the urine on the floor. You'll find him. He's in that cattle crib. And why shouldn't he be? He's in a feed trough. What does Bethlehem mean? the city of bread or the city or the house of flesh. And what a better place for the Son of God to be born than in a cattle crib. It becomes the cradle for a king who is the bread of life. And right there in the middle of your situation, right there in the middle of your stench, right there in the middle of your stable, you discover something. He's there. He was made flesh and He moved into your neighborhood. He moved right into your situation. He is an ever-present help in the time of need. He will never leave you nor forsake you, is with you always. The Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that I might boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Right in your stable, you find the Savior. Oh, right there in the land of promise, Abraham built an altar and found God. And right there on the back side of the desert in despair and discouragement, God's in the bush. He's not going to leave Moses. And right there in that den of lions, the angel of the Lord will appear. And right there in that fiery furnace, the fourth man will come and set you free and walk with you in the fire. And right there in the jailhouse, God will send the earthquake of His presence because He's the God of incarnation. Oh, Paul Harvey always told it best at Christmas time. When he told the story of the man who had become cynical in his old age and he just didn't have time for God anymore, and the mother wanted, the wife wanted to go to the Christmas Eve service, and the father said, "Okay, go ahead, but I'm going to stay and relax, and can I have time for that? I'm reading my paper." Just before midnight, he heard a thump on that snow, ice-filled night. Something hit the window. Tried to disregard it. Finally. He couldn't anymore. There was another thump. And and he looked out the window and there were birds being drawn by the light and the warmth of the house. Freezing, shivering in the cold, trying to find some way in. And being a compassionate man, he laid down his paper, put on the the winter garments and went outside. And what I'll do is I'll open the door of the barn. And they can find the warmth of the barn and the light of the barn and be saved. But they were afraid to go in the barn. So he took some breadcrumbs and tried to, to lead them to the open door of the barn to the warmth that would save them and the light that would take them out of the frozen darkness and they would eat till they got to the door and then they would be frightened by the strange sounds of the barn and they'd fly away and they were getting weaker and weaker and weaker and so he got down on his hands and knees and he would lunge to catch them if I can catch them I can put them in the safety but they had enough strength to fly out of his reach and he tried and tried and they're falling and dying and He's so frustrated And on his knees in the snow Having done everything he can to save the birds He says oh They're afraid If I could just become a bird For one moment I could lead them I could show them they have nothing to be afraid of I could lead them to the safety and the light of the barn If I could just be a bird And about that time The midnight hour struck And from the church came Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round, yon, virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild. And he realized he's the incarnate God that comes into our frozen, shattered, stable situations to lead us into the light and out of the dark. He's not just a God of incarnation, revelation. But what the silence of the star shows you, He's a God of transformation. He can turn the stable to a sanctuary. The Bible said when they came in and saw the newborn king, they opened their gifts. They gave him gold. The princely gift for a king. But you know what that did? That transformed that family. They came in poverty and lack barely able to pay their taxes but they've got to go into Egypt and be refugees how are they going to be supported? They got a whole chest of gold because God takes poverty and turns it to provision and they gave them frankincense which is the priestly gift that you offer on the altar of incense and now you can't smell the urine and the manure all you can smell is that shattered fragrance of frankincense permeating that air and now it's not a stable but it's a sanctuary and they gave him myrrh which is the gift of the prophet and it prophetically says one day that spice was used for those that were to die and he the Lamb of God will die for you and because they opened their gifts God transformed that stable to a sanctuary and they begin to worship and praise this newborn king. And it doesn't matter what sanctuary, what stable you're in. Your, your stable will be transformed by God into a sanctuary when you learn the lesson of the wise men. Because you know what we say? When I get out of this stable, I'll release my best gifts. <laughs> I'm not going to release my gifts in this, in this hog pen. In, in, in this pigsty, in this backyard. I'm not going to, when I get out of it, when God gives me another job, then I'll work hard. When God puts me into another better relationship, then I'll be a loving husband. When God changes my kids, and then I'll be a good father. No. It happens, the transformation comes when you release your gifts. Not outside the stable, In the stable. It's when you love like God loves with agape love which seeks the best for the object of its affection without regard for itself. It's when you love your wife like God loved the church that your relationships transform. It's when you teach your children when you're rising up and setting down and walking by the roadside. It's when you do your dead level best in a dead end job that the release of your gifts transforms that stable to a sanctuary. And so what he says is he's the God of revelation. He's the God of incarnation. And he's the God of transformation. But there's one other lesson. He's the God of salvation. For You see, the whole purpose of the silent revelation was to lead you to the stable. To show you that he's there incarnate in your life to show you that he can take the awful situation of sickness and sorrow and grief and transform it and bring salvation for one man said they came with treasures in their hand but they left with treasures in their heart the scripture just said they went back a different way I know that's a geographical description But no one can come to the stable. No one can be led by the star and bow before the stable of His presence and break open their life and offer the gifts of themselves and ever go back home another way. You go back changed, saved, redeemed, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're never the same anymore when you just let the star of silence lead you to the stable so the man tells a story about Robin she was 27 years old never been married very successful in her career brothers and sisters were all married mother getting aged all of a sudden her mother became sick and so it was left to Robin to quit the job and to move home and to be with her mother and to care for her and she didn't mind it's her mother she loved her she, she above anyone in the family had time to spend and, and she could care for her mother and they, they enjoyed this incredible fellowship and love together as, as she took care of her mother until she got worse and worse and right after Thanksgiving, just before Christmas, she passed. And now it's the funeral. And for all of a sudden, Robin feels absolutely alone. The funeral She's sitting there in that quiet sanctuary. They're going to eulogize her mother. Her brothers and sisters are sitting there. They're holding the hands of their spouses, their children. They have somebody, but not her. The loneliness, the stable overwhelms her. And she begins to sob. When all of a sudden, this guy comes hurrying down the aisle and and very rudely just kind of moves her over and sits down by her she kind of looks up out of the corner of her eye and he's got tears in his eyes and his shoulders are shaking and he reaches over and says I'm sorry I'm late and she thinks who is this guy and all of a sudden the people they are going to talk about her mother the sanctuary is filled with people that loved her mother two or three going to speak and they keep talking about they keep talking about Margaret this and Margaret and the man looks over and says why are they calling her Margaret when her name's Mary and she looks at him and said because her name is Margaret and all of a sudden he gets this weird expression on his face and he leans over to Robin and he says is this the Lutheran church and Robin says no the Lutheran church is across the street and all of a sudden it dawned on both of them he's at the wrong funeral and she said for some reason it was hilarious and I got tickled. A- and I couldn't stop. And I looked up at him and he was tickled. And he couldn't stop. And, and both of us are bent over and our shoulders are heaving and we're praying that the people behind us think we're crying. And we couldn't wait till the service was over and we went rushing out in the front yard and just laughed and laughed. And He said, well, I think I missed my Aunt Mary's funeral. So how about going to get a cup of coffee? and they did and they talked and talked and shared and one year to the date they're back in that church not for the celebration of death but for a marriage of new life and Robin says when people ask me how we came together I say my mother and his aunt brought us together (laughs) because when you follow the star it may lead you to a stable but he's in the stable he's the god that can transform every situation in your life and you don't have to go home the same way you came you can go home saved and redeemed stand Father we thank you for this season with all of its noise and its shouts we thank you for a silent night just a bright star that leads us to the stable where you are so that you can transform us and change us and we can leave here today and go home another way saved different. Right now, I just ask you, don't leave this sanctuary this morning with just a treasure in your hand. Don't leave until he puts treasure in your heart and changes you and your situations by his power. We're going to receive communion this morning as a family before we begin the new year. I want you to go into the new year a different way, a different person. It's the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body. So that out of that broken body, your body can be healed. And out of the shedding of the blood, your sins can be washed away. And we're going to do it different this morning. We're going to come by families. And I want you to bring your family, if they're here, and come and share communion with your family before you leave. And as you do that, go out of here a different way. Transformed by a babe in a manger. And if you don't have a family, I want families, I want you to look around. And if there are single moms and dads here, if there's college students here, and they don't have families here this morning, guess what? You get to adopt them. And you get one of them and bring them with you as we receive communion together. And I want you just to step out. We have plenty of time. And I want you to come and bring your family and let's partake of His body and His blood that transforms us. Would you come right now? Someone lead the way. We have two stations. Bring your family. Adopt somebody that's a single person. Make them a part of your family. Someone here without their love. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.